Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Thank you for being with us indoors, outdoors, and online. God is good to us and has given us what an incredible privilege to baptize two Sundays in a row. And uh, we need to be reminded that when it's all said and done, we celebrate a risen Savior who has secured for us salvation for all of eternity. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. While you're turning there, um, I want to make you aware, hopefully as you came in today, you received a prayer guide that looks something like this. If we haven't already, we will also make this available on our website tomorrow or, or we'll email it out to you as a PDF. Um, but this is, it says Mount, uh, school prayer walk on the front. This is our annual guide uh, for school prayer walks. And so uh, we've set aside this afternoon in particular, or this evening, as the time for when we would love it if you would get out and spend some time in prayer at our, our local schools, okay? Um, now, this is going to be something that we're asking you to do on your own, right? This is not super organized. We trust that God hears our prayers, and so we would like to ask you this evening to get out to a local school. Some of our folks do these incredible things and go and pray at 8, 10, 12 schools, uh, and if you can, that's wonderful. Perhaps you'll pray at just one or two or three schools. Uh, of course, there's a great need for our children to be prayed for, our teachers and administrators to be prayed for, all the rest of the employees in the school and the districts to be prayed for, especially in this year when everything is so strange and up in the air. Some of you may not be able to get out and do that this evening. If you can't, we're going to ask you to make an effort to do so in the next week. School will start one week from Tuesday for most of the students here in Kershaw County. And so we want to ask you to pray for those students before it happens. Some of you homeschool parents are going, we have already started. Y'all, we've been praying for y'all for so long. Because those of us that have been stuck with our children for the last six months have been praying so much for you homeschool parents. I'm just kidding. No, really, I'm not kidding. It's the truth. Um, but uh, uh, all the, of the addresses for our, our public schools are in here on the back. You can see sort of a prayer guide that can walk you through that. If your child or you participate in a private school or something that's not listed on here, please, it's not personal. We just try to do our best to cover as many places as we can. If you know of a place that we didn't list, that doesn't mean it doesn't need prayer. And if God's put it on your heart, then by all means, go and pray at that place. So uh, please make an effort. Uh, I think in the past, uh, some of you have, have even taken pictures, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, and, and in the past, I believe that the hashtag that's been used on Instagram and other places has been Malvern Hill Praise. So if you want to do that, that just helps us to see as a community the way that the church at Malvern Hill is getting out and engaging our community. So please make plans to spend some time in prayer over the next um, afternoon, over the next week. All right. Having said that, hopefully you've made it to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10 as we continue in this study of the book of Hebrews here at Malvern Hill. All right, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read 10 verses this morning. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they, not, uh, would they not have ceased to be offered since worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin? 
But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he had said, when he had, when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice. <coughs> I'm so sorry, excuse me. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray you give us understanding of your word, that you would take a frail preacher as myself, Lord God. And Father, in spite of my weakness and failures, that you would proclaim, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the testimony of your word, you would proclaim a powerful message that changes lives. As we consider this morning, what is it that you require of us? We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What does the Lord require? Oh, you can be seated. Sorry. What does the Lord require? Now, this is an interesting question, and it's an interesting question that is answered in a couple of different ways. First, What does the Lord require to be for us or of us to be forgiven of our sins? The second way we'll consider this question is, what does the Lord require for his followers? In other words, once we have been forgiven of our sins and are named as a follower of Jesus, what is God's expectation? They're really two sides of the same coin. On the one side, we read forgiven and free, and on the other side, we read slave to Christ. The requirements of God's people are non-negotiable. The Christian life is not a democracy. We are not voting in a new king over God's people this year. We serve under one king, one creator, and one God. That king is Lord and ruler of all. That king gets to make the rules. We don't get to stomp our foot and declare it's not fair. Instead, we submit to God's rule. We don't do so as to an evil tyrant. We submit to the rule of a loving and benevolent Father who has provided for us the opportunity to be forgiven for our sins. Now, let's first, just for a moment, consider forgiveness, that first side of the coin. I've been especially interested in this in light of our current cultural moment. Our current cultural moment allows little space for transgression and forgiveness, We see people lose jobs and credibility for a single phrase uttered or even for a social media post made a decade ago. There is a demand that penance be made. When forgiveness has been granted, relationship has been restored. What does this mean? For our interpersonal relationships, it means something powerful. I'm reminded that if I have forgiven you, I don't get to then hold over you the requirement that you continue to pursue my forgiveness. I don't get to relive the past with you over and over again. If I say I have forgiven you for harming me, I don't get to demand penance from you over and over again. If sacrifice is continued to be required, I have not granted forgiveness. Thus, 
the, the writer of Hebrews' point there in the first part of Hebrews 10. If the blood of goats and bulls had been sufficient to, to, to acquire or to, to accomplish the forgiveness for our sins, there would not have been a need for that sacrifice to be continually and constantly repeated. Forgiveness is granted, not earned. Even when sacrifice is demanded, forgiveness is only granted when the offended party deems the sacrifice acceptable. Bear with me. I know I'm repeating some words. It's getting a little monotonous. Stick with me for just a minute. I sometimes wonder if forgiveness is possible in our current cultural moment when the love of Christ is completely removed from a society, then offense becomes a currency that drives relationships. Offense becomes a currency that drives relationships. Rather than desiring healed relationships, people desire power. This is the current state. Bear with me. We're going to bring all this back to Hebrews in a moment, I promise. In the current state of politics and political discourse in our country, we see this desire. Not a desire for partnership, but a desire for power. When we want power, there can be no concession and there shall be no forgiveness. Because watch this, when I have forgiven you, when I have forgiven you, I have surrendered my power over you. When I've forgiven you for a wrong, I cannot demand that you continue to obey my requests. As long as I'm offended, I have power because I can make demands of you. If you do not submit to my demands, then I can declare you to be mean, uncooperative, uncooperative, or even evil. But this is the way of Gentile rulers, not Jesus' followers. This was the warning that Jesus gave to his disciples. However, would you be great? Who would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Of course, this is not only in politics, is it? Unfortunately, we've seen the church of Jesus Christ become complicit in power politics. The church has strayed from Christ. The church on both sides of the political and ideological spectrum demands surrender to particular ideologies to political leaders. But the church of Jesus Christ must never surrender its authority. This is not the way of Jesus. Jesus sees offense and he has sympathy. Jesus sees sins and he grants forgiveness and he gives it freely. The church of Jesus Christ does not belong to a political party or an ideology. The church of Jesus Christ does not surrender to Republicans or Democrats. The church of Jesus Christ dare not be swayed by Marxism or Darwinism or Jeffersonianism. The church of Jesus Christ owes allegiance only to one, and it is the one who came offering forgiveness. The church of Jesus owes allegiance only to Christ, who surrendered his power for the opportunity of restored relationships. And so it is this Christ to whom we look. And it is this Christ who can make claims upon our lives. And it is this Christ who can make demands of his children. What then is it that the Lord requires? When I wrestled with the text from Hebrews this week, I couldn't help but run to Psalm 51 and Micah 6, 8. The Bible speaks one word from beginning to end. And what was true of David in the Psalms and of the prophet Micah is also true of the writer of the Hebrews and is true for us today. 
what the Lord requires in restored relationship he has given to us. Do you realize that? What the Lord requires in restored relationship he has given to us because he sent Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. What he requires he has given. Christ is the way. That's why we read in Hebrews 10 that the law was a shadow of things to come, but the law had to cease. It had to give way. Why? Because Christ had secured our pardon. Our forgiveness had been bought and granted. The Lord provided what he required, but if God has provided what was required to restore our relationship with him, what is left for us as followers of Jesus? Remember I said there were two things we would wrestle. That's how we say it in Calpin, South Carolina. Two things we, I'm not from there. I just know some people from there, okay? I'm like from the suburbs of Calpins. We're better than those Calpinians. But there, there are two things that we must wrestle with, right? What is it that the Lord requires of us to be restored to relationship or, or for our sin to be forgiven? And that is what he has provided for us in Christ. That which he has required, he has provided But the second thing we must wrestle with is what is it that the Lord requires for us having been forgiven and set free? What is it that the Lord requires for us or of us as followers of Jesus Christ? As followers of Jesus, do we look at our restored relationship with him and then continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. Rather, we look to Jesus in thanksgiving and ask, how then shall we live? And the answer is given over and over again in God's word. And so the writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 asks, what then is it that we should do? If, 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 if we wrestle with the, the, the words of Hebrews 10, 5, when we came to Christ in the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to me in the scroll. If God does not delight in those things, what then does the Lord require of us? And I believe that we find that answer not only in the book of Hebrews, but again in Psalm 51 and in Micah 6, 8. The first thing we see this morning is that the Lord requires a broken spirit. A broken spirit. There in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, we are told that the sacrifices that the Lord requires or desires is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These the Lord will not despise. The Lord requires and expects a broken spirit. Understand the language here is violent. Violent language. It's not sweet and kind. We read the Psalms as though we were seated in a meadow watching our sheep, and yet Psalm 51 is written from a man who has committed heinous sin. He has been confronted in his sin by a terrified prophet. And once he has come to reckon with his sin, he is racked by grief. And so, writing there in Psalm 51, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned, O God. David recognizes that he has not honored the Lord with his life. He also recognizes that Bathsheba and Uriah were not merely people. They were God's people, and David had sinned against God's people. David had sinned against the entire nation of Israel, and David ultimately had sinned against his command from the Lord. And David, as he wrestles with this, looks up and says, What is it that the Lord requires but a broken spirit? Violent 
language. The sacrifice of God is a spirit that is, you ready for these words? Crushed, broken, violently rended, shattered, maimed, crippled. These are the words that are used to define the Hebrew word. If we would serve the Lord, we must first, using a New Testament word, crucify our desires, or rather allow him to do so. We need to come empty-handed. As long as we think we have it figured out, there will be little that the Lord can do with us. As I quoted above, Jesus reprimanded his disciples because they thought they knew best how to usher in the kingdom of heaven. They argued over whom among themselves was the greatest. Jesus had to crush their entrepreneurial spirits. They needed to be shown just how insufficient they were. Their thoughts were not Jesus' thoughts, and their ways were not Jesus' ways. How hard is it for us to come to the Lord and to realize at some point that we don't know everything? How difficult is it when we come to the Lord and maybe for the very first time understand that we are not capable, we are not able, we are helpless? What does it look like? to be before the Lord, broken, crushed. Jesus looked at his disciples and he reprimanded them. He says, you're not acting like my followers. Instead, you're acting like the rulers of the Gentiles. What a slap in the face to these guys. Jesus says, you don't look like me at all. You look like the world. Folks, how often do we as the church look more like the world than we do like Jesus Christ? How often do we demand obedience to our way of life rather than serving? How often do we stomp our foot and declare that we know what's best without running to God's word and saying, God, word, what is it that you would have? Jesus had to crush their entrepreneurial spirit. They needed to be shown just how insufficient they were. As a follower of Jesus, assuming that you have given your life to Christ, what does the Lord require of you? A broken spirit, a realization that your way may not be the best way. And you ready for this? This one, I believe, is one of the hardest. A willingness to be counted as a fool for the sake of Christ. Folks, are you willing to be scorned by the world if you're activity and attitude honors Jesus? Are you willing to be called names and shouted down if your life honors Jesus? Are you willing for your relationship with Christ to cost you something? I'm going to tell you something. A lot of you are willing to write checks for Jesus. How many of you are willing to put your reputation on the line for Christ? How many? How many are willing to be shunned by your political compatriots because you've chosen the way of Christ rather than an ideological path? How many of you are willing to be known by Jesus rather than a political party? How many? Your ways may not be my ways, Jesus says. How many of you are willing to consider that with the way that you spend your time, your talents, and your treasure, with the way that you would cast a vote, or the way that you would tweet, or the way that you would update to Facebook, or the people that you would follow? How many of you would consider 
that your friends may not like it. Your friends may disagree, but Christ compels you. And what does it he requ- what does he require? A crushed spirit willing to be counted as a fool for the sake of Christ. Second this morning the Lord desires a contrite heart. Again here the language is not pretty. This is ugly, nasty language. A broken or crushed heart. Crushed. Folks, I don't know if you appreciate crushed, but imagine a coffee cup and a sledgehammer, right? That's what a crushed heart would look like. It is destroyed. And this is what the Lord desires. Not only must we come to Jesus with our spirits broken, but with our hearts wide open. It isn't enough to simply acknowledge our weakness. We come with broken hearts longing for Christ to fill them. David came to the Lord and confessed his sin. And as we just mentioned, acknowledged that it was to God that he owed loyalty or or, or really that it was to God that he must come for forgiveness because it was God ultimately that he had offended. But folks, you understand that he also had to come to the Lord for renewal and filling God will break you down, period. God will break you down. This idea that the Lord will never give you more than you can carry is a lie. It's not true. Because sometimes what we need is for the Lord to weigh us down with more than we can tote. Because we need to come to him broken and destroyed. I need a heart open wide enough to say, Lord God, I can't, but you can, and whatever you would give me will be enough. What does the Lord require of you? A heart that is open wide, fulfilling with the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes the reason, I'm going to go to meddle in a minute. Sometimes the reason that the church of Jesus Christ is not as powerful as it should be in the world. It's because the church of Jesus Christ is filled with the mess from the world and not the goodness from the Holy Spirit of God. See, I hurt somebody's feelings. Y'all hear that? Folks, how much time do you spend with the world pouring into your head and how much time with the Holy Spirit of God pouring into your heart? We can't immerse ourselves in the things of the world 24-7. Well, let me back up. Like 24-6, show up to church for a couple hours on Sunday morning and somehow believe that in so doing, I've opened wide my heart for the Holy Spirit of God to work. Folks, the, the Holy Spirit of God needs to be working in your life day after day after day. A broken heart. One that says, Lord God, everything of me is leaked out, and God, I need you to repair it and fill it up. David said, God, I need you. Folks, God will break you down, but not because he wants to leave you there. God will break you down so that he can build you back up. i got to get to the positive part, don't I? Sometimes I, I tend to live there in the, in the bleakness. God will ruin you and weigh you down, not so that he can destroy you, but so that you can come to the end of yourself. Sometimes flat of our back is the first time we'll look up. Right there, he's waiting for us. In the dark, in the deep, in the, in the, in the, in the worst place imaginable, he's waiting and ready. 
Folks, will you give God a broken spirit and a contrite heart? What does the Lord require of you? A heart that is open to his filling. And then third this morning, what does the Lord require of you? But a walk with the Lord. See, we cannot do justice to the question of what does the Lord require without considering Micah 6, 8, the very place where God provides an answer. And, and, and if you're wondering how this is coming from Hebrews, again, a reminder to you that we are told that the Lord doesn't delight in certain things. So what is it that God does require? Micah 6, 8 tells us, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. A broken spirit, a contrite heart, and a humble journey with him. Walking with the Lord. When you go for a walk with someone, what does that mean? In other cultures, it can look very different than it does in our culture. I remember going for a walk with a man um, years ago in Indonesia. This is the first time it ever happened to me. We went for a walk, and as we journeyed wherever we were going, he reached down and he grabbed my hand. And he held my hand as we walked. And I was uncomfortable. I was very, this was, hey, this was a pre-corona, right? Right? But even now, I was nervous. I hold my wife's hand. I hold my kid's hand. I'll hold your hand if I'm at your bedside praying with you. I don't hold other people's hands. But this man reached down and he grabbed my hand. And we walked and we held hands and we swung our little arms. And we talked. And that was as normal for him. That was as normal for him as anything. This was a sign that he and I were sharing a walk in unity, a conversation that mattered, a relationship. Some of you that have served as soldiers in the Middle East have no doubt experienced something similar, seen that. Walking down the street, Eastern cultures are comfortable with this idea in those cultures, when you go for a walk with someone, it might look significantly different than when you go for a walk here. The humble walk with the Lord could be characterized similarly. We walk hand in hand with the Lord, doing as the Lord would do. We do justice, we love kindness, and we walk with humility. Folks, this walk does not fit our culture. This walk does not fit the world. This walk does not fit with power politics or Marxist demands for parity. This walk is humble and long-suffering, and in this walk we must be willing to walk. You ready for this? All the way to the cross. All the way to the cross to the cross. You see, it was at the cross that Jesus made it possible for us to walk with him. This journey with Christ brings us full circle this morning. See, the cross has made it possible for us to be with him, but the cross also teaches us what it is to walk with him, to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God. How do we determine what is justice and kindness and humility? I promise you from the bottom of my heart, you won't find it on a cable news channel. And I have spent time this week on social media looking for brokenness 
and humility. And folks, I haven't found it. Now, I should clarify that most of my social media time is spent looking at pictures of puppies. But I was intentional to get away from the dogs for a little while to look at things that mattered. And I saw people that are sad, and I saw people that are angry, but I didn't see very many people that are teachable. And folks, that had to drive me to a mirror, right? And to say, Lord God, am I that way? Because justice, kindness, and humility, they're defined in this word. God has a lot to say about those things. But the way that God defines them might not be the way that the world defines them. The way that God defines them might not be the way that you define them. The way that God defines justice and kindness and mercy might jump all over you and change your life. Because when God speaks of his care for others and his love for others, we can't simply explain it away. A.W. Tozer said it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And we, we like to claim that. We like to mention that it, you got to have Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you can't deny God's hand in creation and still grasp the gospel. You got to have the whole Bible. But, folks, we got to have every verse in between as well. And we got to wrestle with the reality that Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, but he also said, Blessed are the poor. And we don't get to explain that away because we are not. Blessed are those who mourn. Folks, what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to obey and honor all of his word in seeking kindness, justice, and humility? What does it look like as followers of Jesus to live with kindness? You see, I think there's a reason that we have justice, kindness, and humility because it's, it's pretty difficult for one to exist without the other. I can't very well pursue biblical justice without being kind and loving to my neighbor. And folks, I can't love my neighbor without first being humble enough to acknowledge that I don't have it all figured out. I can't look at those in need and care for them as Jesus would care for them until I first consider that perhaps I am in need. A broken spirit, a contrite heart, and a humble walk with Jesus What's not included in there? A whole host of things that I would like to jump into, but if I do, we'll be here for another 45 minutes. Because it's just not there. It's just not there. There's a whole host of things on both the right and the left that just don't exist in God's Word. And I know you guys are tired of politics and hearing me talk about it, and for goodness sakes, I'm tired of it too. But at some point, the church of Jesus Christ has got to align behind Jesus Christ alone. We should be political aliens surrendered only to one king because the politics of this world demands allegiance to something other than Jesus Christ.
And Christ alone is the way. The cross is the way. And the cross is the picture of what it looks like to walk with Christ. And that really brings us this morning to the Lord's Supper. See, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, we've already read. But when we continue on to verse 11 through 18, there's a lot of Scripture being read this morning. That's because God has a lot better things to say than Craig Thompson does. Let me just read to you. It says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. You ready? I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. See, the cross teaches us that when Jesus has forgiven us of our sin, there is no longer a need for offering. But folks, the cross must also teach us that when we have walked in the way of Christ and we have forgiven our brother that has sinned against us, there is no longer a need for offering from our brother or sister either. The Bible warns us against coming to the Lord's table with grievances against one another. And so even as we come to the Lord's table this morning, as we gather around this table and celebrate that the requirements for our salvation were met not in our work or deeds, but on the cross of Calvary, we also acknowledge, we also acknowledge that we must not demand from others that which Christ has not demanded from us. Once we have declared forgiveness, that forgiveness must be given and granted. Not demanding a sacrifice from others because we have forgiven just as Christ has forgiven us. Jesus died, and because Jesus died, our sins have been forgiven. And so this morning, we observe this memorial meal as a reminder of Jesus' death on our behalf. This morning, we're taking the Lord's Supper in a way that we've not done it before here at Malvern Hill. We've got, uh, the, these things are called fellowship cups. You like that? Um, and, and what exists right here in your hand, go ahead and grab it. I'm going to give you some instruction. The wafer is there on the top. Okay, and there's just a little thin piece of cellophane on the top that you can peel off and you can access the wafer. And then once we've done that, you can peel off the rest of the top and you can access the cup. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray over the Lord's Supper this morning and then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. And we will together take the bread, the body of Christ. And then we will take from the cup of Christ. And then I'll pray again. And after that prayer, we're going to sing praise to the King who alone deserves our worship because He has made a way. He has shown us what is good and what does the Lord require? Yes. But folks, even more, He has given us what the Lord requires in His broken body on Calvary's tree. Pray with me. God, we praise you this morning that you have not only made a way and shown us the way, Lord God, you've made it possible for us to be with you. And Father, we, we confess that we often fail in our requirements and our expectations. And yet, Lord God, we celebrate and praise you, God, 
than the midst of our failures. When, God, the world informs our actions more than the cross. God, we praise you that you love us anyway. We celebrate, Lord God, on that cross you made a way for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 gives us the earliest and, as it were, the oldest reference to the Lord's Supper that we have. And so it's always from 1 Corinthians 11 that we read, beginning in verse 23. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So again, if you'll just peel that little piece of cellophane off. And then together, in appreciation for what Christ has done for us, we take this broken body of Jesus symbolically in remembrance of our Lord. The Bible says in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, you'll just take that tab and peel it back. It's a little bit more difficult. And of course, this juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. And so this morning, in thanksgiving for his sacrifice for our sins, we take the cup together. And in so doing, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It may be that you're here today, and this idea of sacrifice on your behalf is foreign. It may be you're here today, and you consider the Lord's Supper, this broken body and shed blood of Jesus, and you realize that there's never been a point in time in your life when you've actually been forgiven for your sins. If that's you today, I want to invite you. We're going to sing in just a minute. And y'all, I want you to sing your hearts out in praise to the King. And we're going to praise the Lord. And I'll be standing right over here to talk with you and tell you what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus. It may be that in taking the Lord's Supper this morning, you realize that you have an offense against your brother or your sister. Maybe somebody that's here today, somebody that's let you down or hurt you. Maybe today when we're singing, today should be the day that You go and seek out reparation for that relationship. You seek to repair that relationship. Not waiting for them to fix it, but giving your forgiveness as Jesus did. It may be today that you're here and you realize that you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But you've not lived with a broken spirit and a contrite heart and a humble walk with him. That as we speak of doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God, you realize that you've not done any of those things. That you've got a life that was saved by Christ, but you've been living in your own pride and your own anger and your own frustration. Today, lay that down. I'd be happy to pray with you, but I'll be honest with you, you don't need me. Give it to Jesus. Raise a hand in praise. Give it to the Lord and walk away.
He will take it from you if you will give it. So I'm going to pray one more time, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing, and we're going to praise the Lord together. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for loving us far more than we deserve. Thank you, Lord God, that you've given us hope in Jesus. Father, as we offer to you our sacrifice of praise, Father, I pray that you would be honored, that you would be praised, and that you'd be glorified. And Father God, perhaps somebody in this place, somebody in a house around us or a street over, Lord God, might be impacted by the praises of God's people as they're lifted high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing this morning.